And I would just tell them, hey, you know, if they walked in the door, something was on their mind that they were interested in buying today. And you don't have to be pushy about it. But if someone has made the decision to take an action, like recency is big, right? So like when they walk in the door, they are there to evaluate and make a decision. Your goal is just to nurture that decision as quickly as possible. They walked in the door. If someone sets up an account, they did it because they, they are in an evaluation stage, most likely. And it's your job to help them evaluate as quickly as possible and to choose you. Welcome to the Disruptware Podcast. Whether you're just starting up or scaling your software business, we interview the experts with ideas and strategies you can implement today. Now here's your host, Paul Clifford. Hi there, software entrepreneurs, and welcome to the Disruptware Podcast. This is the show for entrepreneurs who are either just starting out or those who already have a software company and are looking for techniques and ideas for massively scaling their business. And the way we do that is to interview experts in the market who are already running their software company. And whatever level they are at, they have great content to share. And we dig deep to get factual experiences that you can put into action right now. So let's get on with our guest today. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the show. And on today's show, we're going to talk to Travis Ketchum, who is the founder of a company called Contest Domination. And Contest Domination is a SaaS app that enables you to create contests on your website to get thousands of leads. Um, it's a great technique. It was really uh, popular um, a couple of years ago. There was a lot of buzz around it. And it looks like Travis has really taken this concept. He created a product, like a WordPress plugin, launched it, did really, really well. And he thought, right, let's turn this into a long-term sustainable SaaS business. And that's exactly what he has done. And so, you know, I spoke to him earlier. He's doing multiple, multiple six figures uh, a year and scaling really, really nicely, attracting some excellent corporate clients. So let's get him on the show and learn some insights of how he's building and growing his SaaS company. Hey, Travis, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Thanks for some time uh, with us today. Um, Really excited to talk to you. I've kind of known uh, about you for some time, and I think we've probably tried to connect sometimes uh, over Facebook, um, mainly because, you know, we're both in the sort of marketing software world. And so I'm always interested in reaching out to people um, like yourself. Um, and, you know, your your product contest domination has been sort of a market leader for some time. So I, I really want, wanted to get you on, um, talk to you a bit about, um, you know, your experience with, you know, taking a product and turning it into a SaaS and growing it, you know, as a very, very successful business. So, you know, thanks for that. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad we finally connected. It's uh, it's been a long time coming. I think. <laughs> Absolutely. So, t- just tell me a bit. So, what gave you the idea? You know, to start this this product. Sure. Well, it was kind of uh, two things, really. Um, one was uh, at the time when I sort of got the idea to do it, I was doing work for you know, best-selling authors and speakers. And I was doing much client work for them. So I was, you know, managing their JV and affiliate programs. I was doing user acquisition, you know, for media buying on LinkedIn and things of that nature. Um, I had come out of a previous, you know, nine to five type of job, uh, actually more like 6.30 a.m. to three. Right, <laughs> yeah. yeah. People, um, so I'd been doing this work for these these authors and speakers to help grow their audience. But it was sort of like the case of the shoemaker's kids have no shoes. 
And so I didn't have my own list, right? So I was busy here building, you know, multiple millions of dollars of revenue stream uh, of new business for people that had an existing sales funnel and things of that nature. Um, but I didn't have much of my own. I had none of my own products and I had a very pretty small list. And so I wanted to accomplish two goals. Goal number one was I wanted to build my own list quickly. And goal number two was I needed to create a product to be able to sell. So they actually were sort of two birds with one stone. And so I actually set out to create a small little WordPress plugin uh, for contests. Because when I looked at all the contest options out there, uh, since they seemed to get the most buzz the most quickly, you know, and get the most attention for, for building up an audience or at least getting the attention of, of your sort of ideal marketplace, a lot of the platforms out there at the time weren't focused on contests for the sole purpose of list building. They seem to be focused on contests for the sort of, you know, pie in the sky idea of, oh, I want to run a contest and I just want to generate buzz, but I don't, you know, they didn't have this explicit goal of list building. Got it. And what wasn't there like a period where contests were all the rage, you know, there, there, there was sort of a tidal wave, everyone was talking about it at the time and, and it was like a big buzz thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think we hit the market um, sort of lucky on that in some regards, um, you know, people are still uh, looking to them for that sort of explosive growth. You know, they, they still have some cachet uh, with them, I guess. But uh, when we launched that initial product, it was like we just, you know, strike while the iron is hot. And that was sort of on accident. <laughs> right. You know, um, because we were able to take what was in reality a very, very simple WordPress plugin at the time and, and do quite well with it probably better than we should have. <laughs> and how did you like launch that initially? So, so you saw that contests were doing really well. Um, and I think even, even Facebook started getting in on the action themselves, didn't they? Um, uh, yeah, they, uh, cause the wildfire app hadn't been acquired yet by Google and they used to even be, um, sort of promoted within the, the Facebook tools of things to do right. was wildfire app which was a self-service contest platform at the time. They don't even do self-service anymore now that they've been acquired. Uh, but, I mean, it was like Facebook, Facebook was definitely saying, hey, you know, use an app to, to run a contest. You know, here, here's a method to do it uh, because it was beneficial for them because they're seeing you know, huge increases in ad spend, right? Because you can get that kind of quick, explosive growth. As a business owner, you want to throw gas on the fire. So mm. uh, Facebook was, was suggesting it as one of their best ways to, to get user growth and audience growth. So... Um, but when we originally launched it, uh, the first step was actually just, you know, testing the product myself, right? So I ran a few small contests, but I went from originally just a couple hundred people on a list to adding several hundred people even a day sometimes with my own contest. I was like, okay, great. There's actually something to this, right? So, mm. so after I got that sort of minimal viable product built, I ran my own campaigns and it worked. And so I was able to turn that around you know, create the sales page, get everything buttoned up. Um, and then because of my prior relationships, I had a few pretty accessible uh, guys. You know, we're not talking about heavy hitter affiliates or JVs, none of the people with the huge massive lists. But I had a few friends that just had a, you know, bloggers list of free prospect kind of things, right? And they're willing to promote sort of anything at a lower level. And that's how I got my first few sales. You know, I'm right. not talking hundreds of sales, even just maybe 50, 75 sales. Um, was, was through those prior relationships. And those are things that I think anyone with any background could, could make those kind of connections. It's, it, I don't think that was exclusive to the fact that I had pr previously done 
JV and affiliate programs. Got it. So just to summarize that then, so, so you saw there was an opportunity in the market. You created something quite simple using a WordPress plugin. Um, you, you reached out to the people you knew, you knew, um, even just a small group who had lists to do some sort of promotion. And that's what gave you enough of a sort of impetus to, to get the ball rolling and give you the confidence that this thing's going to explode. Definitely. And so, I mean, after that, then, you know, like we're talking really basic delivery. I mean, I didn't even have a members area at the time. Right. <laughs> it was a, it was an AWeber autoresponder with a link to a file on, uh, AWS, you know, Amazon Web Services, mm. S3. Mm. <laughs> it was just yeah. an S3 link right in the, the AWeber email. So, um, but why not? You know, I mean, when I talk to a lot of people, they get so hung up on the whole infrastructure and, and everything that needs to be in place instead of just focusing on, you know, what is the core solution? What problem are you trying to solve? You know, totally. Um, and yeah, people I mean, are trying to leapfrog all that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we were simply, you know, we were just a, at the time a ClickBank product. And then when they purchased on ClickBank, it basically subscribed them to the buyer's list, which delivered them the S3 link. Right. Super, super simple, right? And and the product itself was as simple as possible because, uh, you know, all said and done for the product, sales page, et cetera, I think I spent about 7500 bucks, and over half of that was on a credit card, which I do not recommend anyone does, but that gives you sort of an idea of um, what I was working with at mm. the time, you know. So I still had student loans and <laughs> things of that nature. So. Yeah. Uh, definitely was stretching beyond my means, but I knew that um, this product, you know, this marketplace definitely had legs. Um, you know, once I was able to try it for myself, I knew the product itself had legs, and it just came down to how can I get it in front of the right people. Got it. And so, you know, so the the, the WordPress plugin product sort of took off. Um, yeah, you, we, you, we ended up doing sort of a, a proper launch for it about a month after I actually opened it up for sale. Right. Okay. And and how do you take it from there though? Because then this is the chat. So you realize, right? Okay, I've got something that, that sells. Um, and then obviously the challenge is, right? How do I scale this? You know, how do I get my next, you know, fifty customers or hundred customers, and turn it into some sort of more recurring sort of model? Definitely. So um, once we did the proper launch, we you know that was probably the quickest I'd ever made that kind of money. Um, mm. <laughs> especially for something that, you know, once you deliver the product, as long as you know, we support it from the support side, but it wasn't like doing client work, which I had done in the past, right. Which has a lot of fulfillment mm. with it. There's still fulfillment in terms of support, but it's, it's, it's a much different ball game. So I had some money for the first time in a while <laughs> and I saw there was traction and I was getting tons of fantastic feedback from users about, what they liked, what they didn't like, what was lacking. And, and, you know, this was launched as a minimal viable product. So we knew that there was some things that could definitely be improved. So I decided to do two things with the money. The first thing I did was I released a small patch and, and minor feature bump so that everyone who bought within the first like three weeks got a nice upgraded version, which, which fixed, you know, a few more things and polished it up now that we had the money and the legs to do it. Mm-hmm. But then I took the bulk of the money and I, sought out a business partner that could handle a SaaS type development environment because we knew that in a SaaS environment, we would achieve two goals, which was one by not being WordPress, we wouldn't have all of the headaches of, you know, the $1 hosting providers with users that have hundreds of active plugins from let's just say questionable sources. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, 
Well, the support base, isn't it? That's what the you're support, worried about. Yeah, the It'd support be nightmare. Was, was killer on, on WordPress, especially considering people aren't willing to pay that much for WordPress products. No. Um, so I think uh, all in our average, uh, our, our average sort of cart price, right, was a one-time fee of like forty-two dollars. <laughs> um, so that was essentially the lifetime customer value, other than sending them offers for other stuff. Right. So that's right. pretty low, but we had it at scale, right? We had thousands of people entering like that yep. at that price point. So the math still worked, but I knew that that runway would eventually stop, right? And people had the product and, and they just weren't willing to pay that much. The support was a certain level of overhead. And so with SaaS, not only would we sort of alleviate a lot of that support, we, we now actually support, uh, you know, a multiple of that original audience. And it actually takes, we actually get less support tickets <laughs> than we did before. So that was a huge plus. And the second thing was, um, you know, people just value hosted software much more. Um, and so people were willing to pay not only more for the product, but they were willing to pay a recurring cost for continued access. Um, you know, couple that with the fact that when we do want to push an update, everyone has it immediately. All these other side benefits to a SaaS model, it was pretty clear almost immediately that that was the direction we had to go if we wanted to build a genuinely better product, have lower support overhead, and generate more revenue in general, plus more revenue per customer. And do you think, you know, so, I mean, you, you and I know why people, why the SaaS is a better model, because you handle the hosting, the, the, the you know, everything, basically, all they needs to log in. But do you think people see that, you know, what, why do they value, you know, a SaaS sort of login higher than a, a product which they actually sort of download? You know, in terms of perception, you know, because you kind of think that people, when they shop, you know, when they get something delivered to them, you know, naturally you, you have a higher value because you have an expectation you've got something physical on your machine, right? Um, whereas SaaS, it's very different. You know, you're, you're actually just providing them uh, a subscription and access to a service. Yeah, I think there's, there's two different opinions on that, depending on the type of buyer that you're, you're working with. Mm. With the, with the type of buyer who would consider a WordPress plugin, um, but would be more interested in a SaaS, to them, it's more of a, hey, you just handle it. I always have the best version, right? Because you're upgrading it on your end. And, um, I know that I can get support, right? Because the mentality is if I continue paying, I continue getting support. I continue getting feature updates and I constantly have access to the best of the best, right? So most people are willing to pay. More for that. The second type of buyer is the bigger buyer. And that's someone that would not have even considered us when we were a WordPress plugin, but now is happy to talk to us that we're a SaaS. So I'm talking about the bigger brands like, you know, uh, we worked with like Affliction Clothing and some other brands that have brought in, you know, over a hundred thousand leads with a single campaign. Mm. And they would have never in a million years probably considered us as a WordPress product. Right. A, they have to have a WordPress website <laughs> to be WordPress. But B, they want someone that will just take care of it. Right. They don't want it to be tied to their resources. They don't want to have to jump through the hoops of, you know, their IT department to get something installed on their website. I don't, you know, I don't know if, if any of your listeners have worked with, uh, you know, larger organizations. The bureaucracy gets kind of mm-hmm. overwhelming very quickly. And by having a tool they can just log in and deploy. That makes it much easier for them, has a much higher level of confidence. And so they're willing to pay 10, 15, 20 times more than a WordPress plugin to get this sort of managed white glove experience. Right. And, and so what's interesting is that, so from the, 
once you start selling into the enterprise or the corporate market, you know, the philosophy completely changes. Um, and, you know, I learned this back in my days where I was sort of, I was a CTO for a big SaaS company and we were selling to HR people. Um, and, you know, getting around IT was a real win, you know, for obviously for us, um, but also for HR because the HR just wanted to buy based on the best functionality. You know, mm-hmm. they just wanted the best solution. And historically, HR would always have to go to IT to buy something. You know, anything technical, any software, they always had to go to IT. And IT will obviously make their selection first, which mm-hmm. was never aligned with what HR wanted. You know, so, <laughs> Funny so, how that works. Yeah. And I think that's one of the key things why SaaS has really taken off in the enterprise market is because, you know, there's barriers, you know, the bureaucracy of the buying process and the procurement process is completely taken away. Um, we still had to get IT involved because we had other hurdles to get over. So like security is the biggest problem, um, especially with HR because we're storing employee records and stuff like that. Um, and so IT had to give like the rubber stamp that we were secure enough, mm-hmm. but they weren't involved in the selection process, you know, from a functionality perspective. And it, and it really opened doors for us, you know, and Absolutely. I think that, that's what, you know, companies like yourself are finding now. Sure. And, and, you know, those are the kind of people that not only have the budget to, to actually afford what the, what the software is actually worth, mm. uh, but they're typically more successful with their campaigns because they're in there and they're, they're there to do business, right? It's not someone who necessarily has a full-time job doing something else and is doing it on the side, right? This is their full-time job. They're very well-oriented in the marketplace typically, or at least they know what they want and how to apply it. Uh, they actually are lower needs, right? It's sort of like that funny adage about people who pay you less money are actually more work. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and, and they stick around longer, you know. So so we went from, to give you an idea, we went from, you know, uh, $40 to $60 sort of average cart, right? I think it was like 42 or whatever the number was, um, average lifetime value, to now we're like well into the thousands per customer mm. for an LTV, um, because not only are our price points higher, but the recurring angle and the, and the limited amount of churn, um, it's just, it makes all the difference for when you're trying to acquire customers. Absolutely. But do you find the acquisition process harder, you know, because to, to get people on board? I mean, I guess at the enterprise level, it's more of a, you know, a face to face or an inside sales sort of job. Um, but at the intermediate level, you know, um, to the, the, the lower level or SMB sort of marketer, how do you find getting those customers on board? What techniques do you use? Yeah, so I mean, it's worth noting that we definitely have less conversions per day now than we used to, mm. but each conversion is worth a huge amount more. Mm. I mean, easily 6x more. So even having similar or lower conversions, our revenue is way up. Our average customer value is way up. Um, all the metrics that like our way up and our overhead is actually down. I mean, we have infrastructure overhead, but as far as hands-on requirement overhead is way down. So the numbers went in the directions that we wanted. Um, now, as far as converting uh, a SaaS type lead compared to converting a WordPress lead, um, a WordPress was like a direct sales page, right? They went, they read about the features, and then here was the buy button. Right. And in the SaaS world, it's very, very different. Um, we actually have you know a, a free no credit card required trial, so we have to sort of give results in advance, right? Because the price point is higher, so we give people seven days 
of full access to what's known as our unlimited plan. We do have one above that called business, but unlimited plan is our most popular plan. So people come in without a credit card for seven days. They can run all the contests they want. Um, and then if they decide to upgrade within the first two weeks, they get a little bit of a discount on their pricing. Um, so, you know, after seven days, they lose access. After 14 days, the price goes up a little bit. And we find that those two things are actually quite effective in getting people that are curious and in that sort of product analysis stage to get a taste for how it works during the first seven days. And then the second seven days, they can analyze the results they got and they can talk with their decision makers or purse string holders to decide if they want to continue that campaign, if they want to buy a subscription, if they want to do a one-off. Um, and then, then they can make that buying decision at that point. And, and that made a dramatic difference from when we used to just have a, a free account in general. <laughs> yeah. That was sort of a nightmare, actually. Yeah, no, I can imagine. So, so free trial. Um, and, you know, obviously you want to ensure that you deliver value to them as quickly as possible within that time period, right? So they get the aha moment. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, especially people that have never run a contest before. Right. For someone who goes in and is able to set up even a most basic offer. Uh, what we find, you know, we get emails like this sort of all the time, people that aren't, you know, they aren't even pulling down, you know, multiple thousands of leads even, but they're pulling down hundreds of leads. And we'll get emails from them saying, I just want to let you know that in the last 48 hours, I've pulled down more leads in the last four months. And, you know, for someone who is used to a trickle of leads, getting 100, 300, 600 leads in a few days is a big deal. Right. Because years of their efforts <laughs> have produced, you know, a couple hundred leads. Right. So to get that in a few days really sparks that sort of drive to, okay, this can work and then gets them motivated to go make sure that it works within their business. And then they turn into a conversion. And there's a lot of data out there that shows, you know, by giving people that sort of um, unfettered access at the beginning without a credit card, uh, ultimately actually results in about double the amount of revenue over time. Because they're much happier by the time that they actually convert. But the, but I guess the trick is trying to get get them to use it straight away, and, and you know making sure they see value straight away. Do you get a lot of people who sort of sign up? And I guess you're monitoring this at the back end, right? Do you mm-hmm. get a lot of people who sort of sign up and then don't do anything with it? And you know you, you must be focusing on that segment to try and work out how can I get them using this? How can I get their first contest? Totally. And so, you know, um, that comes with a combination of marketing and, and, and product. So mm. on the marketing side, it's, you know, sending them emails, reminding them that, hey, you know, you have X amount of time of access. Here's some, you know, how-to videos. Or when they're in the product itself, it needs to be as frictional. You know, we can do a much better job of this. I still, you know, I believe we can still do a much better job of this. But, you know, increasing the, the velocity of them from sign up to deployment. So, you know, reducing the steps, making it easy, making it comfortable. You know, one thing uh, that we did add that made a huge impact was uh, adding little tutorial videos on each and every little step. Mm -hmm. So every step inside of the contest, they can click a, hey, I need more information. They get an over-the-shoulder walkthrough, actually for me personally, that says, you know, hey, um, let me help you out here. You know, here's what this page does. Here's different ideas of how you might set up this, you know, if it's the offer page, like we talked about, here's how we set up the right kind of offer. If it's the Facebook page, we give them advice, you know, at least to consider about the pros and cons of running a light gate. And then if you do run a light gate, you know, what that means for your business. And so um, that essentially sort of baked in training that's highly correlated to the exact feature they're working on in the contest. 
has made a dramatic difference for helping people sort of guide themselves through the process. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, you know, someone else who focuses on that is a company called Intercom. I don't know if you come across them. Um, but not, probably not in the same way that you're talking about where you do the over the shoulder videos thing, but you know, their, their focus is to look, um, from the back end at the customers as they're coming in to see what, where they are in the process. And mm-hmm. you can sort of fire messages to them literally to kind of nurse them through, you know, whatever step it is. Yeah, we do a little bit of that. Um, cause, um, we record, you know, all the things that they're doing and mm-hmm. we're able to push Infusionsoft tags. Uh, based on actions um, we haven't really fleshed that out to the point where it, it's as useful as it could be but it's a, it's the same sort of idea so that we can you know based on events or lack of events you know if someone if someone stalls out we can actually apply additional tags to change their communication right okay so um so the onboarding process obviously is is essential you know in a free trial sort of model and um, so you use like videos and, and tool tips and things like that to get them through that through that hurdle, right? Yeah, and and one thing I want to sort of you know um, make clear, I guess, and it's a big mistake that we made in the early days was uh, it, before we did the free trial model, we used to have sort of a watered down free account, and you know otherwise known as the freemium model, hoping mm. that people would come in, use the product, like what they saw, want the better features, and pay. And, you know, people would do that, but the conversion rates compared to today were pretty atrocious. Um, you know, I think that especially people that, that come from a more marketer mindset, and, and, I, and I don't want to necessarily say IMers, but, uh, mm. but you know, people that, that have a marketer's mindset that want to, want to become more of a full-fledged software as a service, I think it's easy to look at other companies out there who think differently and they have lots of backing on their, you know, lots of VC backing. And a lot of those tend to go with the freemium model, which is let's give people sort of a, a basic free account and then hope that they see the value in the upgrade. Um, we found that to be pretty bad <laughs> for conversion rates. Um, in reality, people are either buyers or non-buyers. And when you, when you do a free trial, not only do you sort of force them to make a decision, but you also get a different kind of feedback because the people that are in a free trial that are considering a real purchase will give you different feedback, we found at least, than someone who's in a free account because the people that are in a free account will give you, wouldn't it be cool if, kind of statements, whereas people who are real you know, real prospects to become real buyers will say, my business would benefit from, right? And the features are usually not the same. <laughs> so made a big difference for us both in terms of conversion and in terms of focusing on what to build first. Absolutely. Um, because, uh, and also they're invested, aren't they? You know, and I think the other thing that I've seen that supports what you're saying, um, and even a step further where they're actually reducing the free trial from like 30 days to like 14 days, um, is you're compressing the time scale for them to actually go in and, and you know, get on with it and create a campaign um, you know, because they're going to lose it quicker, you know, they're going to lose their access quicker. And so their decision making is all kind of accelerated, you know, into that 14 day or 30 day. Um, and I don't know what your free trial period is. It's seven days for seven us. days, right? So even better. So you're kind of like putting, you're kind of putting the pressure on them to do it now, um, rather than let them 
give them the freedom to have the mindset where, you know, oh, I'll look at that someday. You well, know? so I have a question for you. Have you ever yeah. worked retail in any part of your past life? <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> only when I was a, a Saturday boy at Marks and Spencer's in London. <laughs> okay. So when I was early in college, I worked uh, summer, uh, a summer and a few holidays at Best Buy. Right. And I actually sold TVs and home theater systems and stuff. Right. And uh, I would always sell like way more than my counterpart. It wasn't even commission, but, you know, I sort of, you know, got a, got a rush out of not like certainly not like scamming people or anything, but like I got a rush out of just selling people what they wanted to buy. Right. And and I would always and we're talking like three, five, ten X more than my counterparts. And they, they would always ask me, like, how do you get people to buy so much stuff? And I would just tell them, hey, you know, if they walked in the door, something was on their mind that they were interested in buying today. Right. And you don't have to yep. be pushy about it. But if someone has made the decision to take an action, like recency is big, right? So like when they walk in the door, they are there to evaluate and make a decision. Your goal is just to nurture that decision as quickly as possible. Yeah, you're so and right. People forget yep. that. Yeah. They walked in the door. Right? They, they, if someone sets up an account, they did it because they, they are in an evaluation stage, most likely. And it's your job to help them evaluate as quickly as possible and to choose you. <laughs> it's so true. And in fact, when you said, you know, if I worked in retail, thinking I actually worked for some time in a camera shop um, and I learned a lot of sort of basic sales there where literally every person who comes through the door, you know, you have to walk up to them and ask them how they, you know, how can I help you? Because of that same thing that you just said, you know, you know, they're there because they're interested in something to do with a camera or film or something. So you just got to help them, you know, because it's, it's a lot easier to sit back and watch them wander around the shop. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, you know, I used to always ask, you know, what did you come in to look at today? Yeah. Yeah. How can I answer your questions? It's, it, it does not need to be pushy. It's just people walk in and they, they wouldn't have walked in unless something sparked in their mind that said, I'd be interested in, you know, in this our case, I'd be interested in running a contest. I've heard, you know, I've heard on a podcast they were good. I've read on a blog post they were good. I saw a good case study that said that they were effective. I wonder if it would work for me. That's really probably what they're asking most of the time they walk in the door. So it's our job to show them how it can work for them and really sort of explain the feature benefit uh, scenario for how it will benefit their business. You know, but they're, they're there because they're in the stage of consideration. They wouldn't be there unless they were in that stage at least. So. Right. The, the Easy other, to forget, but pretty simple. The the other analogy, just coming back to the camera shop model, that, that now I'm thinking about it is the, is the whole upsell, you know, method, you know, where, um, you know, when we were taught, you know, when someone buys the camera, then the next thing you have to do is, you know, sell them the case, you know, and then do you want a do you want a cleaning kit with that? Do you want a lens cover? Have you got enough film, you know, because that's where the margin is, you know, within totally. within the camera shop because everyone fought for the best price on the actual camera. So no one can actually make any real money on the camera itself. Um, but you made your money on the case, you know, which costs like, you know, a dollar to make in China, but you charge 40 bucks for it. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, do you know how much a Best Buy makes on average for like a, a printer that is listed like in one of their flyers? No, no. Tell me. It's actually often less than a dollar. Right. On the printer. But then they'll sell you a $25 cable that costs them seven cents to make. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, yeah. Literally all of their margin is in that USB cable or the service plan or something. So, um, yeah, the, the, the upsell 
makes a dramatic difference on on everything, every aspect of your business. The uh, I learned that uh, the equivalent of Best Buy um, in my day in the UK was called Dixon's, which was sort of a similar sort of concepts or cameras, TVs, just everything, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and their whole profit for the year was basically the extended warranties. That was their profit. You know, extended guarantees, you know, that all that, um, you know, do you want to insure it for three years in case you drop it, all that sort of stuff. That was their profit. Everything else was at cost. Sure. Well, I mean, in 2008, Best Buy told all of its employees that Geek Squad, the services, which is the warranty as well as the uh, installation services, repair services, that kind of thing, mm. accounted for 4% of their revenue, but was 50% of their profit. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, probably going off the rails here a little bit. Yeah, but, probably. But, um, but it's interesting, though, you know, drawing because people, as you pointed out, you know, people forget to to draw, you know, the comparisons between everyday life, you know, because humans are humans, whether they're online or offline. Um, and so, you know, wherever you can draw that experience and draw what the, the human nature and take that into an online buying experience and, and kind of stay aligned with that, then you're going to succeed, right? Yeah, I mean, I think most people just sort of tend to overthink it their first time through. Mm. You know, it's as simple as if someone's here, they're interested. (laughs) And, uh, you know, you don't have to be pushy about it. You just have to answer their questions and show them the benefits. Got it. So just moving on a bit, how did you, you know, so you moved, you partnered with someone to create this uh, SaaS business. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, what sort of challenges did you face, you know, with running a, a more of a SaaS business instead of like a, a, a product, you know, WordPress plugin? Uh, all kinds. I mean, every product's going to have its own bag of surprises, right? Right. Uh, sort of a fun fact, by the way, my business partner was actually like one of our first 10 customers, uh, on the WordPress product <laughs> Brilliant. and, uh, he, he bought it. He got some success with the campaign, saw us do our proper launch, so he knew that we had some some marketing chops, um, and then he had another SaaS product that he had built that he was actually trying to work with me on. Um, and I said, "That's interesting, but how about this?" You know, and, and sort of explain the vision for a, a big proper contest platform, and, and he was in. So um, that's just sort of a fun fact. Most people don't know that. Mm. Uh, so anyway, so so once we started, you know, A, we started from scratch, even though it was called the same name, even though it had a lot of the same functionality. The code base for contest domination today is 100% different than the code base of the, of the WordPress plugin. Um, and, and probably the biggest hurdles we, we had to come across were, you know, in the last few months was actually scaling, more than a few months ago now, um, just dealing with uh, spiky traffic, you know, inherent yeah. contests in particular is, is you get a big brand and they mail, right? And you go, you know, all of a sudden your your hour of traffic now is like 40,000% higher than your hour of traffic before it. So, you know, that obviously represents uh, its, its own sort of handful of challenges. So, you know, moving from sort of the, the basic hosting environment to, you know, a load balanced Linode cluster, you know, craziness um, was a big challenge. Um you know, trying to really focus in on load times, you know, you, you look at, uh, you know, things like Amazon talks about the drop off in conversion rate mm. based on you know, extra milliseconds that a page loads. I don't know if you ever looked at that case study from them. Mm. Um, it was a pretty dramatic drop off with not, not much, uh, slowness and speed. And so 
uh, adding in all these extra database services to you know, compress and cache data so that we can load our sites as quickly as possible. Um, they load quite fast now. Um, so, so those, those scaling issues were one thing. Um, and the second thing was really just because people got so excited about the SaaS, which I guess is a good problem to have. And so is the traffic, but, uh, just sort of figuring out which features to shoot at first, because we find that for every new feature that we do ship or build 17 more seem to pop up. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, our big hurdle, especially since we're a, a relatively small team is ranking our features and things that we're going to launch next in order of importance and whether that's importance in terms of, you know, things that the users do see as far as like new features, new integrations, things that will potentially bring us new revenue and building things that our customers won't see. And, and we're always shipping something, you know, we ship things several times a week, uh, uh, new code iterations and, um, we find that when we ship customer facing features, everyone gets excited. You know, it's obviously an easy selling point. And that's what most people typically focus on. But shipping things that they don't see but have a dramatic impact on sort of the health of the app, which is, you know, the, the load balance clusters, you know, from going from a dedicated server to a load balance cluster, you know, going from a single database service to multiple database services. Those are things that the customer never sees, but it improves the health of our app to handle high loads improves the load time, everything about the app improves, but then we go through these sort of periods of time where the customer thinks we're not shipping anything, right? Even though the app is getting much, much better, it's handling a, a ton more volume. Um, so, so balancing between those two different types of features and then in each type, ranking which ones are absolutely most important. Right. And is, is your sort of technology stack the traditional LAMP, as they call it, you know, Linux and PHP and, and MySQL? Yes. Right. Which can sometimes be a bit of a challenge to scale, you know, because it was never designed to do that with Linux is, but um, MySQL was never designed to scale from day one. Um, And I guess that's probably where you've had some of your challenges with databases, no? Yeah, I mean, we got that pretty pretty well squared away now. Um, There's a little Mm. more we can do just to improve performance, but Mm. uh, um, we're, we're relatively happy with what we have today. Brilliant. Good. So, you know, in terms of, um, you know, moving forward, where, where do you see your growth? Do you see that more on the enterprise side, more on the SMB side? How, how, what's your vision moving forward? Uh, yeah, I mean, we sort of see three different categories of customer types. And so we're going to pursue each of those, um, into the best of our ability because, uh, we're sort of one of the few tools, I guess, that, can actually scale up to different types of buyers without uh, losing focus, you know, because you look at something like an inf- like Infusionsoft, right? Mm. And so they always have to sort of be aimed at the middle, right, for the sort of medium business. Yeah. Because if they start building features for a big business, that's going to look different than the features of a medium business, right? And it would certainly scare off the small business. Um, you know, the, the, the solo entrepreneur is going to get overwhelmed with a product built for Fortune 100, right? Right. Uh, whereas with with our contest product, uh, that that doesn't seem to be the case because the needs of the large companies uh, are are very aligned with the needs of the smaller companies. All we have to do is add additional flexibility, and we can put that in an, an advanced area 
that doesn't scare away the uh, more basic users. And so I, that really sort of gives us a unique flexibility that I think, um, you know, a fair amount of apps typically can't can't handle in the sort of, uh, you know, CRM list building type marketplace. So we're pretty excited about that ability. And, and we're also excited about, um, you know, not only improving contest domination, but we see some interesting opportunities to repurpose the, you know, this cool platform we've built now, right? We've built this, this platform that can handle lots of traffic, that can generate pages, that can track referrals, that can subscribe leads, and can do all these interesting things. And so we think that, you know, not only will we continue to grow the contest market, but uh, we think there's some complementary things that we can build on the same platform. Got it. And the um, in terms of your pricing model, do you think that will change? Are you quite settled on on that, or are you always split testing? So we actually did change our pricing model back in October, um, and and that was that was also when we made the transition from free accounts to trial only. And we've tweaked that since then based on some testing data. But um, what we did was we, we used to just offer monthly accounts. Mm-hmm. We didn't even you know, we only offered we had a free account and we had two different monthly paid accounts. And we not only killed the free account and went with annual or pay as you go, uh, but we also changed the name of our plans. <laughs> so we did a whole bunch of changes all at once, uh, which is typically a no-no. But uh, it made a dramatic difference. And so, you know, it used to be free and then it was something called Pro and then something called Pro Plus, which looking back, like what a stupid name. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And now instead of free, you know, we have our trial accounts, but then you either have the option to buy a solo credit Mm. because we found that the people that were paying monthly would genuinely, you know, would or I guess typically they'd come and they subscribe for about two months Maybe three months, they'd cancel for a few months, they'd come back, subscribe for a few months, cancel, come back. And so those were those were our typically engaged users, or they would come and just do that once. Right. And so we found that people were either in one of two boats. Either they wanted to run multiple contests a year and they just wanted to cancel in between because they didn't think they needed it, uh, or they literally only wanted to run one contest and they hated recurring subscriptions. So we sort of broke it out and we said, okay, if you want to run one contest, that's fine. It'll be a hundred bucks. You can run one contest and be up to four weeks in length. And that has been very well received because the people who only wanted to run one contest a year, a hundred bucks is pretty straightforward. Most people get plenty of leads to make that value well worth it. There's no recurring fees to worry about. They can come back and buy them whenever they want. The credits never expire until they get activated. The second boat now of annual subscriptions instead of monthly makes a big difference because the people who are wanting to run several contests a year, it quickly becomes financially uh, solvent to buy the buy the annual subscription as opposed to the one-offs. And the people that were buying, canceling, buying, canceling, etc., now when they have access, we're actually seeing that they're running way more contests. The same customers are running way more contests because they just have access to the tool. So what that tells us is that in those periods where they were canceling, that they actually wanted to run a campaign. There was an area where they could run a contest, but they didn't because they didn't want to resubscribe. Mm. Right? There's obviously friction there and sort of anytime you give someone money, there's some pain involved. <laughs> and so by just having access, they're now more successful because they're running more campaigns on our platform. Uh, and so that's called our unlimited plan, which used to be called Pro. And now our business plan, which used to be called Pro Plus, uh, very few people ever bought Pro Plus before. And I think it's just because 
Pro Plus, what does that mean? It's this very nebulous thing. We had mm. to sort of explain the feature set. And with essentially the exact same feature set, I mean, it's improved now. But just by calling it business, people can more quickly wrap their arms around the sort of advanced integrations, you know, retargeting support, um, conversion tracking, pixel support, the kind of things that a business owner really wants. And so that was our high-end plan. And it went from selling, you know, hardly any to actually being a pretty popular product. So by name changing and, and switching to, to annual or pay-as-you-go, it's made a dramatic difference, both in terms of conversion, customer success, and just sort of clarity in our marketing. That's brilliant. And Travis, you've got, you seem, the way you talk, you've got great insight into your customer base um, and your metrics. What tools are you using to sort of have that big picture view that you're able to drill down and see what's happening? Sure. Well, I mean, um, we have a few internal tools, um, you know, just a, some very basic admin reporting about uh, sort of the, you know, the lead flow coming in. We use Infusionsoft and I've set up uh, our campaign builder in such a way that we sort of get some insights as far as, you know, what percentage of people are going where and sort of what timelines. Um, we've purchased KISS metrics, but we haven't been able to implement it fully yet, which just sort of makes me sad. Um, we just haven't found the time to do it. Right. Uh, as far as revenue, uh, we use Bear metrics, uh-huh. which we're very happy with um, because that gives us quick insight into you know, revenue per user, run rates, uh, lifetime value, all that kind of stuff, and a snap because we we bill our customers through Stripe and they they do Stripe's yep. uh, Stripe reporting. Uh, but I do something that most people in my position don't do, and they actually tell me not to do, but I don't listen to them. <laughs> which is, I actually respond to a ton of support tickets. Right. Uh, I think a lot of people, once they get some success, um, have a tendency to. They want to be as hands-off as possible. In a lot of ways, I still am. I mean, the business would keep running if I didn't do it. But by being in the trenches literally every single day, I, I, I respond to the actually a huge portion of the support tickets myself because that always gives me the direct pulse on what people are thinking, what their challenges are. Um, God forbid we have a bug somewhere, right? So I, I sort of first line and I can sling it to the right people and just make sure it gets followed up on. Mm. Um and, you know, luckily our support load isn't too crazy, but by being in the trenches there every single day, um, you know, people will tell you, you know, people are pretty vocal. They'll, they'll tell you what their pain points are. They'll tell you what their sticking points are. You know, um, but that was how we found out that people weren't getting enough guidance on how to run a campaign. And so that like that's actually what stemmed the over the shoulder videos for each and every step. And and that immediately alleviated like half of our support tickets immediately and so just by getting that insight you know that's something that um you know a sort of average or you know intern level support person uh even a full-time support person oftentimes i think would miss the nuance there yeah so that's something that as a business owner or someone who's you know deeply invested in, in both the product and the success of our customers just gives you an insight that no one else can really touch and and that's just a, such a you know real time fire hose of feedback. It's it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. No, I totally agree. I'm I'm guilty of the same. Um, and you know sometimes I'm a bit scared to go in there because I'm worried about what my support <laughs> desk might have said to someone. You know, and it's like you've got to pull out. Um, what what I try and do is is just rather than answer the ticket, give the support desk the t- the answer to the ticket. Um, just so that 
you know, the flow is there because I, I have been shouted at by my support team before for getting involved because tend to, you tend to like answer something and then you don't always go back in to the support system, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I try to make a point of logging in every day and clearing right. it out. I mean, um, I, I actually sort of use that as my uh, direct customer inbox. So right. that's <laughs> uh, great. I know that that's, that's probably a no-no and, and a lot of people that I've met that, that are successful marketers and stuff. Um, but that's the first thing they outsource. And I think that's the biggest mistake that you could possibly make if your, if your goal is to make the best possible product and to really make sure that your customers get the highest level of success. Yeah. In, in my opinion. Yeah. So. I mean, you need that feedback loop. You need to know what's happening. Absolutely. Cool. Listen, Travis, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Um, I really enjoyed talking to you. Um, and, you know, contest domination is obviously, you know, growing and succeeding day by day. I think, um, you know, we talked earlier, I think for, for anyone listening, you know, if you want to get into contests and want to know um, what it's all about and how to get started, then, you know, there's a link, there'll be a link at the bottom in the show notes here. Um, but basically, if you go to prospectdomination.com slash CM101, then, uh, Travis has put together a, a very uh, short course on running and setting up um, a contest. So literally, it's contest contest marketing one hundred and one, um, and that will get you started. And um, you'll be able to see how powerful and explosive this technique is for building your list. So, Travis, um, unless you've got any closing uh, comments, you know, I mean, that's. It, you know, any advice you, you can add to sort of any um, budding entrepreneurs who are building their SaaS products, what, what would you say to them? Well, I would say that they can either go build their dream or they can be hired to make someone else's. <laughs> right. <laughs> Great one. But uh, other than that, no, I, I really appreciate being on today, Paul. I know we probably went uh, off topic a few times, but I hope that there was some insight there that people can use when they think about their business and their offer and just how to get started. Absolutely. I think it was really, really good. Thanks. Thanks again, Travis. If you enjoyed the show, you can get the show notes from disruptware.com. And if you are not a subscriber and you're listening to this on the iTunes store, then please visit disruptware.com and sign up. That's it for this episode. Look out for next week's show. I'm Paul Clifford, and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Disruptware podcast. Check us out on the web at disruptware.com.